0: Good morning, All Shores. We're so glad that you're here with us today. I want to invite you, if you're in the room, and if you're able and comfortable, to stand and join us as we worship together this morning, and just celebrate our Lord, the fact that we have the opportunity to be here today, that God has given us so many incredible things. He has wiped us clean from our sin and from our mess and from our pain. That's beautiful. It's wonderful. And so let's just celebrate that today. All right, let's send this out. His spirit upon us. His spirit upon us. His presence in this place. For this we have gathered to look upon his face. I sing praise, I sing praise, for His love never ends. I give thanks, I give thanks, for His faithfulness. I sing praise, I sing praise, He is good in every season. I give thanks, I give thanks.
1: Expected disappointment, love was all I heard. My sin was deep, your grace was deeper. My shame was wide, your arms were wide.
0: of your arms being open wide, God, that you love us and you accept us, even though, God, we fall so short, God, even though we miss the mark, God, that your arms for us are open wide, God, I pray over us this morning what I Pray specifically for those who may be struggling with the idea, God, that anyone could love them. God, may we all see ourselves the way you see us. God, the fact that we are your children, God, that you look at us, you celebrate who we've been made to be. God, you celebrate how you created us. God, I pray. May we look at ourselves through your eyes and just be reminded, Lord, of the delight that you have in us as your kids. Oh, we love you, Jesus. We're so grateful. I have a new song I want to share with us this morning. and This really just comes out of my personal abiding, my personal being with the Lord throughout the week, and I was sharing with the team this morning. I've really just been sensing God calling us into deeper levels of surrender, and it's a scary thought because myself, in my humanness, I just want to hold on to things so easily, right? I think we can all find ourselves in a place like that the idea that I offer myself freely to the Lord for whatever he wants from me. It takes a lot of courage. It takes a lot of boldness. And truthfully, if I can be honest, I can't do it without his spirit guiding me and leading me. And so this song, it's called Crowns Down. And the idea comes from Revelation. The idea that as believers, over time, our gifts of service, the things that we do for the kingdom, they become crowns that we earn. They are our achievements, our awards, and that someday when we spend eternity with the Lord that we will be given these crowns of achievement. But scripture also tells us that there's a point when the saints of God, once they gather and they see Jesus for who he is, the beautiful lamb who was slain, who was given for us, encapsulated by the beauty of Jesus that they throw their crowns at his feet. They throw their achievements and the things that they've earned because nothing compares to the beauty of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we're going to sing this song, and it's a song of surrender. I love the words, I will give my life as an offering. And so, church, I want you to be challenged by that today. How are you living your life as an offering to the Lord? And it starts here. It starts now. So let's just sing this together and surrender our hearts to him today. broken and poured out without restraint in full abandon before my king here i surrender
2: Words are so true. God, you are holy and you are mighty. You are sovereign. In a world, Lord, that just seems upside down some days, that you are good and you are in control. And even though God is holy and perfect and sovereign, He still longs to be close to us. He longs to be intimately involved in every aspect of our lives, to speak to each and every one of us. So we're just going to seek Him now in a time of prayer. And here at All Shores, we just simply, if you came with a need this morning, whether it's for yourself or somebody else, we simply invite you to have a seat to a way of kind of offering yourself to God, to offer whatever it is you're carrying up to Him. So people will just come around you and just put their hand on your shoulder and remind you that you are not alone, that God is with you, and so are His people. So let's just seek Him now in prayer. Father, we thank You that those words are true, that You are holy, that You are good, that You are loving. And Lord, we also come before you, saying that we need you. We need you to move in our lives. That we have so many people who are just fighting illnesses from hard diagnoses, who are have family struggles and marital struggles. Lord, we need you to move in those. Whether it's in a job or relationship, whether it's facing an upcoming surgery or recovering from that, God, we we ask that you move. You bring healing. You bring peace. You bring comfort in each one of these situations. Lord, I pray that you would just speak to each person in this room that you would whisper those words that you love them that you are f- care for us that you are for us and you have good plans for us God we trust you in that and we pray just not only for our church but we pray for the other churches in our community we pray for the partnerships that we have we pray for Mosaic Counseling we thank you for the amazing counselors that they have who are just doing so many good things and we are grateful for them and ask that you bless them we pray for our friends that are serving in Ethiopia this week the team that we have there on that trip and we pray for uh, David and Kate as they serve the Muslim world. And they are just asking, God, that there be, there be fruit, that there be more and more people reaching out to their neighbors with the love of Christ. God, that you would bless their ministry there. Father, in every one of these situations, we just ask that you move, that you be sovereign, that you be holy. God, and we just say that we love you and we trust you. We pray these in the mighty and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Well, you can go ahead and be seated. So glad that you are with us today, that you were here at All Shores joining us, and you might be joining us online today. We're glad that you were able to do that as well. And as always, I just pray that you really experience God's presence today, that he moves in your life, that he speaks to you directly. You know, As a church, we want to connect with you, especially if you are new today. And right in front of you, you have what we call our connection card. If you're new, we'd love to have you fill that out. You can give that to anyone with a name tag or take it to our connection point in the back of the room. We'd love to just help you just kind of continue to take steps in your faith. If this is your church home, there's opportunities for you to communicate with us in there as well. And if you are new or newer to the church, we have what we call Explore All Shores today. And this is just simply a quick time to connect, to meet some of our staff right after the service and it's in the room on the, the west or the east side of the lobby over my left and we call it our guest reception room we will be there after the service love to answer any questions that you may have help you get connected and just to meet you and say thanks for being here so whether you're new today or you've been here for a while but just have some questions we want to help you take steps in your faith you know there's lots of great ways that we can all be involved in a church and today on your way out there's going to be bags that'll be handed out and there's a grocery list in there and we're collecting items for the next couple weeks for our hand-to-hand ministry and we do this at all three of our campuses we serve tons of kids the hand-to-hand brings food to kids on the weekends in need this is such a vital ministry. Patrick was telling me in Muskegon uh, that we're serving over 270 kids each weekend. So that's a huge undertaking. So whether you can bring one item or you can fill the bag up, we'd love to have you participate and just kind of give back in that way. Yeah, and when we give, it's a way that we worship. We do say this every Sunday that we... Uh, We receive God's tithes and our offerings because we believe it's a way that we worship, that we give back to him, that we say, God, we trust you, we trust you with our finances, and we want to be a part of what God's doing in this church in building his kingdom in our community and around the world. So if you came prepared to give today, we truly do want that to be worshiped. There's ways to give on the screen behind me. There's giving boxes by all the doors. You can do that on your way out. And we just want to say thank you. We are so grateful that as you give, we are able to do the ministry of the church and be a vital part in our community. So thank you for that. Now, if you'll turn your attention to the screen, there's more information about what's happening. Hi, I'm Erica, and I'm the kids' ministry partner here. And I want to invite you to come to our Fall Fest this year on October 31st from 4 to 6 at Tinglefoot Park in Spring Lake. We'll be serving donuts and cider and having raffles, games, photo booth, and passing up candy at a Trunk or Treat. We would love to have you join us serving candy and passing up donuts to the 700 kids we're expecting. If you'd love to help us, you can sign up at allshores.org under the events page.
3: From those joining us online, all of you here at our Spring Lake campus, a Tri-Cities campus. We're glad that you're here today. And before I invite you to pray, just to remind you, you, know we want to be a church that's reaching out beyond ourselves, both locally and globally. And in case you didn't notice, we have this, um, this Halloween event, this trick or, Trunk or Treat, I said trick or trunk, I don't know what I'm talking about, that will be uh, on the, it's, it's set it in there, I'm like, do I even know when it is, it's the 31st, it's actually on Halloween, this is how sad it is. I'm just lost right now. I just want to remind you, we could use, uh, I think we need about a dozen more of you to just come, like sign up to bring your vehicle, and we'll put it in your trunk, your hatchback, whatever you got, but just participate. It's a great opportunity. And then I want to cheer on the team in Ethiopia, because you're part of sending them there. It's part of a whole movement that we are engaging with a village in this to bring transformation there. That's part of who you are, and I love that. Let me invite you now to just pray in the quiet that God would lead you, he'd teach you, he'd speak to you, and then I'll pray for us together. Lord, I join with the prophet saying, Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. And I'm simply asking that you'd give us ears to hear, hearts to understand, minds to conceive, and hands and feet to walk into what you have for us today. Whatever I have to say that's not from you, let it fall to the ground. Whatever you want to do, not only, Lord, prevent me from being an inhibitor, but help me to be a conduit, I ask. I pray that words I speak, the way we respond, and our hearts and actions would please you, our rock and our redeemer. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Well, we're in the second week of a two-week series that we've titled Shemitah, and that word is Hebrew. It's it's beautifully the word about the the sabbatical year for land. I talked about that last week. It's the idea that God gives us seasons of rest, seasons of rest and renewal and release, and also there's a rhythm to that. We talked about that last week, and so this is the second of the two weeks. I want to share personally something that was meaningful for me during that three months of Sabbathing and that ways God, I think, led me, and I hope has translation maybe for you. And this other one, this week, what I want to talk about is uh, very simply, it was a leading a word that I sensed God speaking to me and over me for the sabbatical and even coming out of it. And it's one word, one very simple word, and the word was listen. It was as if God said to me, I want you just to take in. I want you to receive. I want you to listen. And I want to play that out, but I want to give you a little bit of the backdrop of that. And I hope it will be meaningful for you for you as we go through it, but i 'll say it this way: It was months before this that I was starting to think about this idea of listening, not meaning I 've never listened before, but uh so a good friend of mine that I get together with regularly paul he's both a friend and a mentor he's been an important influence in my life. He, in the winter time prior to this, was going through a, something with his voice that was it was making it weaker, and he couldn 't talk as much and Paul is a very strong leader and leads an organization. And he said, as he was talking to me, he he's like, I have to use my words more carefully, and I'm, it's like God's helping me learn to listen because most of the settings I go into, I talk, I drive, I move into it. And so that was kind of a backdrop. And then after I sensed this during the sabbatical, there was a story I was reminded of that became a bit of a framework for me. And uh, so... I want to give you a little background. It's a story from the 4th century and one of what's called the Desert Fathers. So I, just to give you a little understanding of this movement in the early church, after the church in its grassroots movement was just expanding and growing through Rome for the home, all of Roman culture, it eventually got kind of uh, acclimated or part of Roman culture itself. They kind of entwined, and it was part of even the governance. And so it got conflated, and the church started to change and be more messed up. Well, there's a movement of Christians that started to remove themselves from all this and go to what we're called the desert. And their premise was, if I'm alone and in the desert, I face things I don't face in the midst of what I'm doing with everyone and in everyone. And since when I slow down and just quiet myself, something different happens. There's self-discovery, there's becoming awareness of God. So it became a movement in which much of the church has grown because of their findings and discoveries. Well, I want to take you to one century church father. His name is Agathon, and this is a little statement about what he did in the 4th century. It says then that Agathon, this Christian abbot, he carried a stone in his mouth for three years until he learned to be silent. Yep, sounds weird, doesn't it? But what do you think might have happened in that three years apart from the fact that that had to be some serious breath and just carrying a rock like that? I mean, it's one of those things that stayed with me because I found a couple of different things. One is I'm amazed how quickly I talk. It's really hard not to talk. Other people look at me like, hello. In fact, when you're in a leadership role, you start to kind of think you're supposed to talk. I'm not saying that's a good thing, by the way, but you're almost thinking I'm supposed to direct and and enter the room. So you preconceive that you're meant to talk and others are meant to listen. And the idea of just sitting and listening is foreign. Can, can you agree that might be hard, or You're just like, yeah, I know that's true for you. I listen to you all the time, blah, 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 blah. But I don't think I'm alone in this. I don't think the idea of listening is just me. I think it's hard for all of us. In fact, this is what I began to discover. I didn't put a stone in my mouth, just in case you wondered. But during the whole months, I'm trying to learn to, can I stop and slow down? You know what I found out? When I don't talk, I'm still thinking like I'm talking. I'm just talking in my mind. Anybody else been there? It is amazing how much being, being not talking does not mean I'm silent. That, that's what I would say about it. It's not, in fact, we're going to do just a short thing. I'm going to give you 30 seconds to just close your eyes. Close them now. I'm going to give you 30 seconds in quiet. And I just want you to do your best to let go of thinking. Okay, so we'll start right now. just 30 seconds. That's all it was. Can you agree with me that is really hard just to sit? I mean, for most of us, it is. Most of us, if we have a a spare moment, we've found ways to fill it, and even we're very used to having some kind of stimulation or noise going on, aren't we? Like the idea of actually listening is founded in learning to be silent, but it's not simply silencing your voice. It's something bigger than that. So one of the pieces for me in this was when I came back, you know, oftentimes you come back thinking, I'm supposed to have this, God spoke on the mountain, we have a new direction. And it was really clear to me during the sabbatical, we have a great vision for where we're going. We have a great mission. We don't need a new one. It just has to deepen in us. Like I wasn't looking for God to give some fresh new revelation. I was just looking to live into it more deeply. And I was also believing God was doing something here. So one of the other things that I sensed was, listen when you get back. Don't just start talking, listen. And it was so fun to sit with our leadership team and then our staff and ask questions about what God had been doing because he's been moving profoundly amongst all of you. No bearing on what's going on with me. He's just moving. He doesn't need me here. He doesn't need any of that. In fact, if you weren't with us on the court night, I'd invite you to go back. That should be coming out. You can watch that because I shared a lot of what he's been doing here, not simply what he's been doing in my life And as a side note, fortunately you won't have to see it, but there were a group of six guys in this row that night, and they had, it's spelled on their shirts, Go Pete, and they did a cheer that at first was exciting and then became scary because it went on for a long time. And I was relieved that they had shirts on because at first I thought they'd painted their chests, but uh, I'd encourage you to go back because it's been really fun to come and go, God's been speaking and leading the same way I think he is in my life, too, and he's moving those things connectedly and independently, and there's an importance to hear from each other, isn't there? So what I want to do today is, I hope, give you a few anchors to what might this look like, what did I learn about it, and it's not linear, like I'm going to tell you these three steps I took, but they're interrelated, the few things I want to share, and I'm, I'm going to give you just a little bit of a scriptural centering on this, just through three simple passages that I think give a broader context to how central it is in the life of a follower of Jesus to listen. So I'm going to take you first to the basically the first five books of Moses, just to Deuteronomy. I'll read you a passage that's considered a centering one for Israel. In fact, it was recited every day, and often recited as a part of their prayers every day. Shema Israel, Adonai Eloheinu, Adonai Echad. And it goes on to say much more. But here, in essence, is that passage. Deuteronomy 6. It says, hear, O Israel. The Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Now, this is centering, by the way, because Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul. He says mind and strength in the Greek, but it's just to embellish and explain these words. But it starts right here. Hear, shma. To hear, you're listening, right? I mean, the center of Israel's life, the center of the church, the center of what Jesus calls us, is to listen. And I want to be clear, at least at its foundation, what this means. Now, in the Hebrew, the word actually also means to obey, but it doesn't mean if you hear, you obey. It's more centering that, did you really hear? And so let me just give you a picture of this. When I was growing up, uh, my dad bought very nice cars, and because he particularly did, they were from both my parents, but he was the car dude. That's what he liked to get. So we had rules in our family about the cars that I was to hear. One of them was when you drive one of our cars, you park it far away and walk, so what? So no other car is near it that might ding it, right? That's what I was taught. All of you, many of you are saying amen, and others of you are saying I can't believe it. Well, as a good father-honoring young man, I ignored that. Because I thought it was unreasonable, like, why would I walk all the way out there? But I ignored it because I didn't really believe that I needed to do that to get what he wanted, nor was I really valuing what he was entrusting to me that way. So I didn't really listen. I listened to judge and decide what I thought of it. Now, can we agree we do that with God all the time also? I, I, I want you to hear, the invitation to hear... Is not listen so you do what I tell you. It's listen to know. One thing I lose sight of is God is the best thing he gives us. When he's inviting us to love him, it's not like I need your love. It's like when we choose anything else, it dings up our life. And we just don't see it. The invitation is listen, hear. I want you to know me. And if you really know me, you're going to want to keep moving towards me. You hear that as an invitation, not as a ruleish demand, which I think is how we often hear it. Now, that's a backdrop to the center of this listening. I want to take you to Jesus' teachings. And I'll tell you this about how Jesus taught. About a third of his teaching was in what's called parables. And when Jesus teaches in parables... That's just stories that give understanding. So it means he told us stories so we'd have a handle to understand what he's talking about. He's telling stories to help us know who he is. He's telling us stories to know what the kingdom is like. And he's telling us stories to know how we are to live and love. That's what they are. Now, in the prophecies, well before Jesus comes, it says things about these stories. It says, the time will come when Messiah will be here and he will utter things hidden from the beginning of time. In other words, parables are meant for you and I to hear things we've never heard and understand them in ways we never had. It's to reveal hidden things and make them simple and understandable, right? You got that so far? Now, but it also goes on, and this happens. Jesus quotes this because they're not understanding what he's telling. This is what he says about it in Matthew's gospel. And he says this several different places. He's talking about the parables. You will be hearing but never understanding, You will be ever seeing but never perceiving, for this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Now this is an admonition, but it's a good one for us, just in saying it this way. There are things inside of you and me, our own sin patterns, things that have happened to us that break us, our pain and sorrow that often shape us, And prevent us from hearing God, or hearing who he really is, maybe is a better way to say it, and what he's really saying. In other words, there's a caution to go, if you aren't becoming aware of what's going on inside of you, you cannot understand what's going on around you. I mean, that's what Jesus is saying. And if you're anything like me, I have my doctorate in seeing how other people do it, and I'm remedial in realizing how I do it. I tend to read things and go, "I can't believe others don't see this. But I can be really unaware of what I don't see. Now, can you understand the role of having to slow down and be still and silent, to even become aware of the things we don't see inside of us? And I don't want to miss the fact. It's not like God's looking going. I wish you'd listen to me. You never listened to me. I'm so disappointed. It's God looking into you and me and going, you are my child. You are my son, my daughter. I love you so much. I see the brokenness. I see the devastation. I see what's confusing that's been done to you, and I see what's confusing you that you're holding on to. And he's just saying, I have more. I want to help see it change. He's not mad. He's deeply longing. And we don't see that either, by the way. I wanted to give you a picture, and let me take you now. So these are two things that I think give a framework around listening. Let me take it to the. It's a passage that, commonly, we both talk about in the church and we often read in the church. It's a letter from James, who's an early apostle, writing to the church about how to live, and he's even talking about their struggles with each other. And then he makes this statement in his first chapter of his letter: "My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be what? Quick to listen, slow to speak." and slow to become angry. And then he explains when you don't do these things and you're fast to speak and fast angry, our human anger basically is what comes out, and it doesn't produce righteousness that God desires. This is not an indictment about feeling anger. It's an indictment of how we process and how we deal with it and how we face it. I want to be clear on that. But I want you to have a framework around all of this because it was a framework for me over my sabbatical. It was like, okay, what's keeping me from really listening? And I want to give you three, three kind of areas of listening, and then hopefully a few thoughts on how they work together, and maybe just some simple ideas that might help you. But I want to start with this. When you think of listening, it doesn't just mean I'm listening to someone else in their conversation, though that's part of it. In fact, one of listening things is, do you listen to others? And what's good to understand is, when we're asking if we're listening, is just, am I listening to actually know them and discover what they value, what's going on, what they struggle with? what matters to them, or often, have you ever listened to someone just to make sure you could give the right advice or listen to them so you could dovetail off because you have a better story they should listen to and you're always, or you're listening to them and your mind is in 40 places. Or I'll give you another one that happens to me. Whatever I'm going on in my life, it might remind me of something else that elevates the conversation and I can become angry or charged or all sorts of other things from it. Like you can see how not listening to really know can form and inform based on other struggles. So all of this is to know who we're listening to. The other one is very central, which is to know God. We are listening to know God. And I will tell you, it's um, the more I am a pastor, the longer I've been around doing this, and I get opportunities to everything to meet with boards and their lead pastors and other churches and leadership and people that are doing different things that have been pastors or even leaders a long time. And I want to say this all of us would understand at least at an intellectual level we're supposed to read scripture to know God. That's the intention. We're discovering Jesus by reading. But most of us have struggles we're not honest about that either inhibit or keep us from reading or we read in a way that's destructive. And so let me just explain what I mean for many of us it's hard to even read. We go, I'm supposed to want to do this and it seems like everybody else does, so I better pretend and I'll just read and try. Or we see it as an achievement if I read this much, if I do enough then maybe it'll be meaningful. And we're trying to get to a result and some outcome. Or I read because God's going to give me a list of five things to work on and it's just going to remind me how I'm not doing enough and it's painful. Or we read through a lens of our own experiences. I I've seen people who've grown up in their third and fourth generation of the church, and they've been trained that they're always reading to discover what's wrong with them. Not meaning there's not sin to deal with, but almost like God's in a constant state of disappointment. And I go, so we have a lot of barriers. And part of this to me, and we'll get to this at the last part too, is I don't think we know what's going on inside of us when we read. If we don't realize I'm struggling because of these things that are forming in me and I'm not honest one of the best moments I ever had with people is when I'm like, you know what, I'm supposed to read, it's really hard. I try to read, but all I hear is, I read, but I don't understand. How do you think we're ever gonna really discover God in this if we don't face what's not going well when we do it? I, and I'm, I'm so disheartened that we can't be honest. And i found whenever people are honest, things start to shift. Something happens when we face things because that's where God meets us. So even listening to God, though it's center, can be difficult, and it's to know him. And then this is the last thing. It's to listen and know what's going on inside of us. I want to give you examples. This isn't linear, like first you do this or first you do. This is interconnected, and I want to just kind of give you a few examples to show you how all this works from my life that hopefully you can extrapolate to yours, not saying these are your examples. But let me just use a few that happened for me. So I've become aware more inside of me that my... Experience in the day and what goes on can deeply inform how I interact with people. So have you ever had something where you, you see something in the news that upsets you and you become angry and then someone says something that reminds you of that and now you're angry at them and it's elevated. That's something going on inside of me. Or I'm anxious as I interact with people over something else that happened during the day. Or have you ever had it where your whole day builds up I used to think I should go home with a weather map for my family. Today it's been pretty stormy. You might want to back off. Today's been pretty sunny. I'm fine. And you don't know because something's going on inside of you. So, so, so I'll, give you, I'll give you an example just from leadership. Uh, <laughs> Dave didn't say it this service, or last service. He said there's an event. He's like, you can meet Pete afterwards. And he said, you'll find out how tall he is. Yes, that was funny, wasn't it? I don't fault him for it. It was funny. You're a funny man, Dave. But it is, it is funny when I meet people, and if they've only seen me on the screen, they're like, wow, you're short. That, Thank you, Captain Obvious. I am very aware of that. But you know a short man who had a power issue? Can you think of one? Napoleon, right? I have some of that. Like, I struggle feeling insecure when I have authority, which I have now in this job. So I have strong staff, and strong people I work with. And I've often, many times in my life, had them do things that to me appear rebellious and dishonoring of my authority. Now guess what? You know how much of that's going on inside of me before I can even know what's going on inside of them? I've always thought, well, I can't believe this. Do you see how that is? And I try to put people back in their place. But until I realize there's something going on inside of me, that struggles out of my own insecurity, I can't really see what's going on in them. So what I found is the more I become aware of and the more I begin to deal with, and what, here's what I find is there are times where people are, they just don't like what you have to say. and I say there's a difference between a maverick and a rebel. A maverick still wants to honor, a rebel is just, I'm gonna do my own thing. But even in rebellious situations, oftentimes it doesn't require my intervention. Like Mike, you're calm, and you go, no, well, it's a good idea, we can try that. And quite honestly, we have a lot of great leaders among us, don't we? Some that will grow over time, they'll elevate well above what I am. And if I'm not at peace with watching them soar and go beyond me, I'm in trouble. Do you see how that's something inside of me? Like, I have to go, God, will you help me see this? I just, that's a picture of that. Now, let me take you to a picture, and it interacts with others, even though it's inside of me. Let me give you one as it relates to God directly. And I just want to take you to one. This was my, this was actually my quiet time just a few days ago. So, uh, I'm doing a very slow deep dive through Luke right now, and I'm in chapter 22, which I don't need to really show the whole thing, but I do want to read a couple verses. So, uh, so I take a a slow time. I sit in it, and I honestly quiet myself before I read. But I want to show you what happened to me in this. So, this in chapter 22. I'm just going to do the first couple verses. This is when uh, it's telling the story of Judas basically about to betray Jesus, but it gives a backdrop. It says, Now the feast of unleavened bread called the Passover was approaching, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus because they were afraid of the people. So, and it goes on to talk about what happens with Judas, that they give him money, all these things. So, I want to tell you what happened for me in this reading, and I'll tell you what I, my normal thing is. So there's an intellectual part. Uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the Feast of Freedom. It means that they're gathering for this feast to remember that God freed them from Egypt. They're in bondage to Rome right now, and Jesus is rising. So if you let yourself both think and feel, you're like, this had to be really exciting because Jesus is rocking everything. So I'm imagining just being anticipating this freedom. That's what I'm sensing God leading me in. And then I hear these leaders are not liking it, and they want to stop him. And they're afraid of the people. So here's where I start to ponder. And this is where God, I think, speaks. Because normally I would read this and go, those bad people, I want Jesus, they don't. And I'm more than happy to start looking at people I think are religious like that. So here's what happened. Because God's also working in me when I'm reading. And trying to show me how he loves me. I realize, oh, those leaders, even though they didn't like the system, it worked for them. They had position and they were comfortable. And they were deeply occupied with how people perceived them. Do you know what? I struggle with all of those things. And you know what's crazy? As I read through, the way they got Judas to do this was they gave him money. And now I'm I'm feeling the heart of loving conviction where the Lord's going, listen, you also like to have things. I think inside of me, if Jesus said, I want you to do this, and there's going to be an economic suffering for it, I think that scares me. Now, I didn't feel like God was disappointed. I felt it like God was going, I want to tenderize your heart to the plight of people that struggle. And I want you to tenderize your own heart to yourself that you're just like them. And man, it spoke to me so powerfully because I look at others, and we all do this. In case you don't know, we all think the level of our comfort or struggle is where it should be. And others above us, we typically go, oh, man, they're in trouble. They are not living the way God would have them. And I look and go, I I get scared for all of us because can we agree we're all in a culture that is highly geared to comfort? We don't want to lose things we have, which is part of the religious plight they had was they didn't want Jesus to rock the boat. They liked how it was working. It meant something for them. And they certainly didn't want to lose status or comfort. And I go, so now I have more compassion to myself. And if I interact with people that I hear struggling, I'm going to interact differently because I understand because I'm struggling. I'm hoping you're seeing how that speaks. That's what I wanted you to see in this, that there's just a way that this intersects, that the more I know what's going on in me, the more I can see what's going on around me. In fact, this is what I would make as a statement. I don't think we can know what's going on around us until we know what's going on inside of us. And I mean this at every level. I'll just say this as you're learning to listen. (laughs) Uh, I don't think we can say it's just how I'm wired and only address certain things in our lives. I commonly hear people say, I'm a thinker. I don't feel. Or I'm a feeler, and they don't say they don't think, but they are implying they don't think. You know, I just, I feel things. And you know that God, we're made in his image, and you know that God has both, right? He has thoughts that are above ours, but he also has emotions too. And unless we embrace all of that, we cannot truly listen to what's going on in us we can't truly fully hear from God because we take parts of him and bifurcate it out. And we can't truly know what's going on in others. Like you have to become whole in all of this stuff. And thinking and feeling and all that moves. So there's a sense of a call to wholeness and slowing down. Which is again why I think it's so hard for us to actually slow down. We hear verses like this, which is a centering text. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still very simply means he's the one that's going to do it. We're not, and we stop, and we sit. And what I know is when I'm still, I have to deal with what's inside of me. But when I'm still, I'm also loved with what's inside of me in a way I will never be healed of if I don't slow down. And I'm still. Like something beautiful and something difficult happens. And here's the first part that I think will be the hardest for us. The idea of being still is really foreign. Like you and me slowing down, I mean, let's be honest. We have three to five stimulants going on around us in any time. We don't even know what it's like to sit in quiet. When's the last time you drove in your car and there wasn't noise? When did you sit in your living room and didn't have two or three screens going? When did you take five minutes and not think I'd better be scrolling on something I won't remember ten minutes later? And one minute turned to five, turned to two hours. So, so let me give you one thing that I think will be a help, and I want to take you back. Years ago, uh, one of our, our kids was kind of dealing with the gift I had given them, which was ruminating. I am a skilled ruminator. If you want to just go down rabbit trails in your mind, come see me afterwards. I'll help you grow in it. So we went to a, a neuro, uh, it was for neurofeedback. We went to a psychologist, and they hooked up this machine to kind of look at different brainwaves. And they said, let's do it for you, too. To me, like, this will be a good thing. You're, it'll help your, your child, and, and you'll, you'll kind of, and, yeah, that will be fun. So we get done, and the, the assessor looks and goes to my, my, my son. He goes, hey, you're really, it's pretty good. It's not too bad. But, Pete, could we talk? <laughs> like, this is not how I thought it was going to go. So what came out of it, because I am such a ruminator, was he asked me to start doing a thing called biofeedback. And I'm only explaining this for the practice. What I found out during this was I can breathe 25 to 28 times a minute. That was my cycle of how fast I breathe. Which by the way, if you try, you'll probably need a paper bag. I've created a skill out of it. Shallow breathing and anxious breathing, I did it well. And as you can tell, that uh, you would know that actually makes you more anxious too and ruminate. So during this feedback, I would spend 15 minutes, I would listen to this music that slows down and you're supposed to breathe out and, and then breathe in and you breathe with the rhythm of the music. So it gets slower. And slower. Now, here's the crazy part. You do this four times, five times a week, and even when you're not doing it, it starts to slow your breathing down. Like the, the guided practice helps you in life. That's the principle I want you to see. So, I started practicing a thing called centering prayer, which I'm not telling you you should do this or any of that, which is a form of prayer where you're kind of sitting and you're letting go of thinking. And just kind of trying to let thoughts go and just be present with God. It really the exercise, and you, I won't get out. You use a, a word. My word is curious. It's, it's just focusing on Jesus to kind of bring me back. But the whole practice is learning not to constantly ruminate and think, but let go of thinking. And you know what I find when I practice that regularly, I can slow down better, and I'm learning to actually sit silently and all these things become more natural to discover. I just don't want to miss, this is a principle that make no mistake, our lives are overstimulated. If you don't learn to turn things off and slow it down and actually sit, like you should be telling me things like I'm bored, I don't know what to do. Good, keep going. Because there's richness on the other side of this. In fact, this is how I would say it overall. You and I need to learn to be still. We need to learn to listen to know. That means we want to discover who people are not discover what they bring to us, what we need from them, but actually engage in what's going on in their lives. And it increases our love and compassion. Jesus was always full of compassion when he saw people. In other words, it means he looked in and knew them and what was going on. You and I, we all have a crazy meter. We've been talking about this other times. We see one thing in a person, it's like, oh, my goodness, they're crazy. They are now in the no thank you category. We do it. And here's the bummer. Every one of us are crazy in some way or other. The church is meant to love each other in the crazy, not only people who aren't. Like we all have struggles that don't make sense. But somewhere in their story, it makes sense why they are where they are. And if we had any empathy for it, it would change how we interact. God's inviting us to know people, to know who they are, not to judge and not to fix and not to change. And the last one is the most important one. This is what I want to finish with: is, do you know how deeply you and I need to ask the Holy Spirit for help? Like we, we say this often, and if you've been around, you know where do we? Where's the Holy Spirit? Yeah, Whew, man, you guys just oh, nailed it. Where? Thank you. Where's the Holy Spirit? Right. So God gave His presence. That's what Jesus said. I will go and send the Comforter. He will lead you. He will teach you. He will comfort you. He will heal you. He will give you power. He will restore you. You see, when we face what's inside of us, what we can't do is change it. You cannot will it to change. You cannot try enough to change. You cannot plan a training program to change. You need God's very presence to be with you in it. I have found that in my listening more, I'm becoming more aware and much more relevating the dependence I need for God to move. And I have a part to play in it, but it starts with, I need you. See, Jesus didn't just come to forgive. That's at the beginning and the foundation. He came to give us new life, and that comes through the connection to the Spirit. And how will we ever hear from God if we don't know how to hear it all? So I hope there's something in this idea for you. I'm going to pray and just ask God to meet you. It's kind of a, a bit of a mix of these are the things that were meaningful to me. I'm hoping somewhere it means to you I didn't have a, take this next step and that will get you there today. But take some step, some way to begin to slow down, some way to begin to embrace, well, I let God in on what's not working and is broken in me. You know, I, I find I have a lot more freedom now to face what's not, not going well in my life. Because quite honestly, I believe how much he loves more by sitting. And so, while I see things that I don't like and things that I ache over and things I wish I could change, it's a lot easier when you know God loves you and wants to help you than just God's disappointed and is saying, you better try harder and do better. Let me pray. Lord, as I asked at the beginning, whatever is helpful and of you, let it rest. Whatever is not, let it fall. But I am asking, Holy Spirit, that you'd breathe life into my brothers and sisters, into those who are searching. And you would reveal how much you love them in their brokenness. God, we need you. We cannot change, fix, or even see what's going on inside. God, would you awaken our thinking and our emotions and our wills, all of it. And let us be honest in our struggles. That you would meet us and we would discover you in ways we never have. And I pray the unceasing noise around us would begin to dial back and we discover more what it means to be still and to listen. Holy Spirit, breathe fresh on us now in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let me invite you to stand. We're going to worship and celebrate communion. We try to give space to respond and the very words we sing are really very prayers we want today.
1: Spirit sound, rushing wind, fire of God, fall with Him. Holy Ghost, breathe on us, we pray. As we repent, turn from sin, revival, embers smoldering, breath of God, fan us into We need a fresh wind, the fragrance of heaven, pour your spirit out, pour your spirit. For hearts that burn with holy fear Purify the faith and deed Refiner's fire Strength in what remains So we the church
3: you to be seated just for a few minutes. Hopefully you got the cups when you came in, when we celebrate communion. There's a little wafer in the top tier and then the, the drink, the bread in the cup, that this is a, a literal image and representation. We say it's mysterious, not a physical transformation, but a mysterious one that God pours out grace when we celebrate what he's done. And, and I want to say this before we go into communion that we don't have a stipulation you're a member here. We just want you to be pursuing Jesus. If you're not ready for that, there's no expectation you participate, but there's an invitation if you want to pursue him. And so as we prepare to receive communion, I want to just give a frame for this, a little specific to today. We know on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and broke it. We know he gave thanks. And we know he says, this is my body. Paul goes on to tell us as the church, we're his body, that that's who we are. And so we receive forgiveness. And I want to just give you a picture because it's, it's something then we're both to ask for and to give to others. So one of the things that's happened for me inside of this, and I hate facing things that I don't, that I kind of despairingly have, but I was sharing with you how I've had this, kind of the way that my leadership and authority gets challenged, I burr up and I, I leave carnage with it. And I remember having to face that in particular, like, man, there's something in me that's offensive And hurtful, and I'm embarrassed of what it does to others. So, you know, I've been here 24 years. I've had lots of staff come and go. And you can imagine I've left some pain along the way with that. And I remember very specifically interacting with someone who'd been here a while ago and just saying, I had to sit down and go, man, I'm sorry. I think in my own insecurity, I reacted to things in ways I wished I hadn't. And I caused pain. And that person said back, they kind of were going, man, I know I did things that were burring up in my direction too. And God moved through both of our internal struggle and being honest about it. Because forgiveness is something we receive, we ask for, and we give. It's not in a vacuum. The body is to be built up. And that's true of our relationships outside the church. We should be examples of people that live honoring and live to be forgiven and to forgive. He took the bread when he was betrayed. He said, this is my body. It's It's given for you. I love you in the worst parts of you, and I die for you. Let's receive that. In the same way, Jesus took the cup. He said, it's a new covenant in my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. And I just love that that drink to them was a sweet drink. That was a sweet wine because it washed away bitterness. Like that's what God loves us so much. He washes away what's horrible and broken and tragic and that we humiliate ourselves by. That's love. We taste the sweetness of it and we want to share it with others. Let's receive that today. And Lord, I ask for your presence, your goodness, and the fresh work of your spirit to be poured out on us. Even through this grace, and as we sing, in Jesus' name. As you stand, we're going to sing. And I want to remind you something, because we've been singing about pouring your spirit out. And you may not be having a kind of a tight theology about all this, but I'll find people like, well, the spirit's already in us, why would we ask for more? And, uh, and I'm not trying to have any discussion about the spirit's fully in us. I don't believe he's not. But can we agree that he hasn't really manifested all he could in us? Can we agree that Paul prays that the Spirit will fill us freshly over and over again? And why would we not ask for more? Because wherever it is for me, I'm not content. I need more. And I need the Spirit to show up and me be aware of it more. So I don't want you to miss. We're asking for something that's available, but we're asking to awaken and become aware of it. Let's worship together. you will go let that just keep going God I need you I need your presence I need your help help open my mind my heart my emotions all of me to you and man there's a love that's going to be poured out that you cannot give without being dependent something happens and shifts I am convinced of that and listen we all know how messed up I am I share it regularly and if God can do that to help me he will help you He will, because a lot of you are doing a lot better than I am. So like I said, I'm a good poster child for you. I want to tell you one thing for next week. Uh, David White will be with us. He is uh, from the U.K., and he's in the States for some other teaching he's doing. He oversees uh, the Wesleyan movement in the U.K., and he is somebody that it it was a gift that he could be here. And he has a lot of great things to tell us, and you're going to love the accent, if nothing else. It just sounds better. Like, oh, God's speaking. It's British. I love it. I mean, it'll, it'll be meaningful, and I want, you to, I want you to be here for that. I don't want you to miss it. Let me have you place your hands out. May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ continually fill you with the Spirit oh, over and over and over again. May your dependence increase, your receptivity increase, and God's work bring healing, life, challenge, transformation, growth, power, strength, compassion, and empathy that you would be one to bring his presence to other for his glory and your joy. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.